the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. and welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. My guest in this episode is a superintendent, but not the kind you would normally think would be on a show about education. Instead, we speak with Superintendent Rob Hill, Assistant District Officer, Central Alberta District of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Superintendent Hill started in the Canadian Armed Forces before joining the RCMP, and since then he's worked in both rural rural and urban settings in a range of places in Canada. Now, working together with police services and schools, we know can help some of our most difficult students and their families, and perhaps even help them to find success later in life. I was interested to ask Superintendent Hill what he has seen working well in his experience and how we might even work better between schools and police services to ensure safe and prosperous communities. Now, he didn't disappoint, and I think everyone who works in schools will take away something from our conversation. If you like what you're hearing, connect with Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com, follow us on Twitter, at Intersection Ed, or we're even on Facebook. We really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Here's my conversation with RCMP Superintendent Rob Hill. Well, hello, Superintendent Rob Hill. Welcome to Intersection Education. How are you this fine evening? Quite well. Thank you, Corey. That's great. Let's get right into it. Um, You have worked in a few different provinces. You've worked with a few different education systems, and you've seen different ways and, and created partnerships different ways between law enforcement and school. Thinking back, when those relationships were the best, what do you think those characteristics were? What defined that? Or in other words, when you think of those best partnerships that you had with schools and school divisions, what was going right? What, what made it easy to have a good relationship with them? So, so paramount in a relationship like that, in my experience, been communication, constant communication, of course. Um, and, and part of that even would be um, a school and a police officer or law enforcement have mutual goals, especially when it comes to youth, positively influencing youth. So we do a lot of mutual planning, mutual goal setting. I found work very well. Um, clear expectations. What are their expectation of law enforcement in their community? And what would my expectations be? Uh, and again, change that the different ranks have been at from, you know, what constable to where I'm at now. But uh, communication is the one constant, uh, regardless of your rank or level. Uh, if you don't have it, um, the gaps will show up immediately. If you do have it, it's uh, a much easier road. I can imagine. Now, uh, let's speak about those different roles or the different times. Um, I imagine that you've had in your roles kind of relationships with different levels of school division or, or education. Um, thinking about maybe when you worked with schools, what were some of the, some of the best things or best practices um, that schools might think about when they were working with perhaps um, a constable or uh, maybe even SRO, a student? 
a school resource officer, um, things like that. So let's talk about kind of that school level. So, so I can tell you my, my first posting a long time ago, 1997 in Morris, Manitoba, uh, being the new constable there, I was assigned to the high school in Morris, totally new experience. Um, right away they wanted to know, can you coach any sports? Well, yeah, I'm not bad at volleyball, basketball, this and that. Um, the, at the administration had me come in to one of their staff meetings, right? Which I really appreciated to meet all these people. I'm new to this town. Uh, I lived in a little town called St. Jean-Baptiste and I worked in Morris. So I had no idea who these people were. And at that point, um, not solidify, but establish a relationship with the, the requisite administration, but more importantly, the guidance counselor, he was actually my key link when I'm the grassroots boots on the ground guy doing it. It was with him. Um, leverage that relationship so many times because he would actually, any of the kids are at risk. Just to give you an idea, it's a farming community in the Red River Valley, uh, a lot of uh, Mennonite, Southern Manitoba. So a lot of money. I wouldn't call it a per community, but um, the different issues you'd have uh, in a rural area and unfortunately in Southern Manitoba is a methamphetamine, a lot of problems like that as well back then. So he, <clears throat> what I appreciated is he had his ear to the ground, literally would know what the problems were. So our relationship he had my number. He can call me 24 uh, seven. We would actually work on joint strategies to help intervene with some of the youth. Um, you know, people don't realize that police officers have a little more latitude than the public might think uh, when it comes to pre-charge or diversion. We have a lot of options and even the school has a, has a role to play that even at that time as well. And um, you know, in our problem solving model, you always involve, involve your partners. We had the, you know, certain things would happen when we had the, I would call it the advantage to at least include the school. Like what is something we can do to get this person back on the track, back on track extra judicial, judicially, let's say they don't have to go to the court, but it was, uh, I learned that from the start, uh, establish a relationship with your partners and then, and then know the kids as much as you can. It's a big school and all that. And I was new and I was kind of the, you know, new guy in a small town. They're quite happy, but it was, you know, the school was well budgeted, supportive and all that, but still, uh, problems still exist and all that as well. But, um, from there, if you want to talk a little bit from there, I went up yeah. to Northern Manitoba fly in, <clears throat> excuse me, exclusively first nations policing and two of the communities I was in a place called Ion Lake. And I did the school resource for a community called Red Sucker Lake and Wasagamac first nation, a little different up there. And, uh, I'm not going to, you know, just increase social challenges in isolated first nations. It is the reality. And the people that really know the ground truth, there are your educators, your police, and, and your nurses. So same thing, establish uh, your relationship with the administration and guidance counselor. I found a lot more turnover up there. Uh, you're almost, I hate to say this respectfully, cradle to grave at some of these larger uh, rural schools where you're in there, you're established up there, a little bit different. Uh, the turnover is higher. You have some students, English was a second language as well when I was up north. So OG Cree was a primary dialect. So that was a little bit uh, challenging as well. Um, yeah, from there, uh, I, I continued my school interaction. I was actually a, uh, a, a narcotics officer in a federal drug unit in Winnipeg, and they used me to present to a lot of school boards, parent-teacher associations, and teachers themselves, just to literally educate educate them on what was out there drug-wise and what they should and shouldn't do. Just to understand their, you know, what they should do legally. Should they find product? And really, some people just to say this is this is what's out there now. I can remember we would actually, at the time where we would have like a model kit of different product and all that to show them. And just to explain, you know, speaking to some teachers, I remember once, I mean, I'm sure you guys smoke weed back in high school. Sure enough, they said they did. This is eight times more powerful than the, than the product you consume. Just let them know that the situation, the, the, the environment's changed. So that was my, even as a drug guy, I got to do that. Um, past my time in Ottawa when I was 
in the Arctic and actually more of my role here when I was a municipal officer in charge of the inspector that I'm dealing a lot more exclusively with the school board, yeah. uh, more on a budget issue and contracting for SROs and all that. So I was sort of kind of soup to nuts and evolution for me. You could say from the brand new constable as your boots on the ground, coaching volleyball and talking kids out of getting in trouble and, uh, to the person who's, you know, negotiating with, uh, boards and all that for uh, SRO positions. That that is uh, such a great perspective. I love how you've kind of worked your way from from bottom all the way to top, and and yeah, that's I mean like school school teachers, you you start at the bottom and perhaps you'll work your way up, and and then also dealing with school divisions at the top. I really liked what you said about that problem solving, and I think that I think that it it plays into this idea, and and you kind of said it. Most people kind of think the RCMP or law enforcement, wherever they are, um, kind of primarily deal with people who are breaking the law. But you mentioned problem solving and, and that, you know, I, I kind of see as a lot of your job about education. It, you know, I, I might be putting words in your mouth, but the whole idea is to, if they can't, if they could not break the law in the first place, that would make everyone's lives a heck of a lot better, including theirs and yours. And so I was wondering what parallels do you see between the work you do around that problem solving, around that education, around that establishing relationships and teaching? What do you see as kind of those two things? And, and, and I know, uh, uh, that your your wife is a is a teacher, and so I'm she sure is. that you have uh, many good conversations around perhaps some of the similarities and differences. Well, you talked before about you know our our, our job in law enforcement not just to deal with those who who break the law. So I guess it sort of intersects or, or just juxtaposed with education. You part of your mission would be to educate the public. So is ours. You just we have them from cradle to grave. You have them at a certain age in their life. Um, like I said, it's not just enforcement, it's, it's crime prevention, it's public safety. All these things happen via education. Um, we educate the public consistently or perpetually on new laws, new situations, um, their responsibilities. It's, it's not just enforcement, like in, in policing is a, uh, you know, an exercise in community. It's not that the police are the public, the public are the police. It's one of Sir Robert Peel's principle of policing. If you know, Robert Peel, uh, I don't know who Robert Peel is. Some of your listeners might know. <laughs> it's called the Peel's Principles. But um, I guess, like I said, we both interact with youth in, in a multitude of situations, both good or bad. And it's funny, I was discussing this with my wife before, and I said that, well, we both have the ability to be a positive influence or at times a negative influence, mm-hmm. but an influence nonetheless. Um, especially in formative years and all that, you know, you can, I can remember at my age now, certain teachers, I can remember certain police officers when I was a child as well. So it's, it's, we have very similar roles, I would yeah. say. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I, I think that a lot of your job is, is about educating. Um, uh, you know, looking at that education or looking at, at at the things when you've been in a teaching role in your position, and and I know you've you've worked also with students, but you've also worked with parents, and then you also just work with adults. and And I'd like to know: Are there any strategies or tips that you've learned about education or educating that's helped you in your work? Well, a few things: uh, patience, <laughs> be patient, um, humility, be humble. I'm not all knowing. I'm not omnipotent. Um, another big thing is just be mindful of assumptions, the assumptions you make. It's the same thing for an educator. Um, don't assume everybody's, you know, comprehending or understanding what you're trying to say. Uh, I found that with a- adults as well. It comes down to just know your audience. Um, just be mindful of the assumptions because it can really 
a burn you're getting in trouble in the future. It's had a lot of time. We all, we all, we all have unconscious bias. We all make presumptions and all that, but be just hyper vigilant, be mindful of that. Uh, that's helped me a lot. Actually, even as a, someone who's, who's taught on various you know, technical courses and leadership courses in the RCMP as well. Um, take the time to know your audience. I'm sure that's a thing in education as well. Know who you're speaking to. And on the parent side, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, it's unique. I, I, don't really like going to parent interviews. My wife likes them less because she has to do them. But you know, my son's like me is a little energetic guy in school and all that. And I just, I went to school on military bases. My father was in the military. I grew up in D and D bases. They were traditionally a little more strict than your average public school. Um, it, it was interesting then, but um, all that to say again, be patient, uh, be mindful of your assumptions and, and just be humble. You know, humility goes a long way. When I look at your experience, you've often worked with people, I mean, who are all over, who are getting involved with crime, and, and that could be through gang activity, that could be through substance abuse, that could be a, just a range of poor decisions. I'd like to know, are there any things that you have learned while working with the youth that you think might be helpful to keep these people from walking down these kind of bad paths? Um, so, like, is there a way that we could perhaps better work with at-risk youth so that perhaps you don't have to interact with them um, from a law enforcement one. So any tips for teachers, but like, hey, you see this kid turning down the wrong way, um, things that you've learned. Just get to them early, early intervention. Um, again, something I discussed with my wife, and it's interesting. Um, I think it's safe to say a lot of times that that person's teacher, educator, educator will notice the changes in them sooner than their parents or their friends will. So if you notice their you know, change of attitude or behavior or inclinations or things like that, just be mindful of that. And the moment you know, uh, link into your appropriate resources for some sort of intervention. Um, when I say get to them early, I don't just mean, hey, you stop that. Like educate them about the actual dangers of that lifestyle. Right. Um, what I found when I was in Winnipeg, that's where I did my uh, my time at a drug unit. We, I did some... Um, gang awareness things. They, when I was actually in the Winnipeg drug unit, they flew me back up to the isolated Northern uh, reserves to talk about drug and gang awareness. Really interesting. What I would do is again, find, uh, we were given the names of people that got out of the lifestyle. Excellent example. And I, I don't want to say, you know, beyond scared straight or whatever that show is on Annie, but it's really good for a student to see, Oh my gosh, that could be me if I don't make a turn here. And to have somebody who's lived it, who has possibly been incarcerated, who has been shot at, wounded, something else, I, I, I think they need to be there to not to, this is not a glamorous lifestyle. It's not like you're playing a video game. It's not like watching, you know, something on TV. That's not how it is. They, they need to sort of see the reality and make that adjustment in their life. Um, my other thought about this too would be education, of course, is, is prevention. The more you know, Hopefully, the less you'll do, the less you'll, you'll be inclined to go a certain way. Um, I guess the other thing, too, from the police perspective, too, is we have, you know, again, the ability to divert people in different paths. Even when, if they've, you know, contravened the law that say we have a pre-charge diversion, we have alternative measures that are available. The Youth Justice Act, of course, in Canada gives us a bit of space and all that. But, but, but really, it's about, you know, changing a behavior, changing a mindset. This is not the way to go. Um, again, get to them. Get to them early as quick as possible. And, you know, I can't know what all their home lives are. I found that an educator will often know their home life better. You'll, you'll see the change. You, you can look at one of your students or one of your pupils and say, like, you know, something's changed in your house. What's going on? Why, why are you this? Why are you that? You're tired every day. Just, just be mindful and do something right away. And then 
if I like in Spruce Grove here, engage the SRO right off the bat. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thanks. Those are, those are really good. And I think that a lot of teachers, um, know that and they often perhaps overcomplicate it. But what you've said is, is all the things that we say about good teaching, uh, know your kids, develop relationships, um, ask them about their lives when you see differences. And so I really appreciate that. Um, I, I want to come back to something you said and it, it involved working in both rural and urban settings. And as a leader in both of those kind of environments, um, what have you seen the biggest differences in dealing with staff and public in these two environments? Um, do you have any big, big takeaways that you think might help? So when you're thinking of your role as an educator in a smaller community or maybe even a, in, an, in that isolated community, how is that different than when you were um, in a larger community like Winnipeg or you know, we're in a fairly suburban one right beside Edmonton? So the internal side for us, the staff is similar for us. If we're talking just about the officers that I would yeah. lead, um, remember in the RCMP, you're, you're coast to coast. You can go anywhere, work in any environment. And when you sign on that dotted line, you're prepared to go where the queen sends you, which is sort of just colloquial to say that uh, <laughs> where the government needs you, they'll send you. That's part of the area. That's the difference between the RCMP and your municipal forces. So the staff would be a little more constant, the support staff. Some of the differences I found operating both those environments would be the expectations a little bit, a little bit different expectations in the public. I find um, how, how so. Well, what do you think? yeah, a built-up urban environment. I'll strictly I'll speak on the police world right now. Like, yeah. expect a quicker response. Expect the instant wraparound services. Yeah, I guess you call it in this province your FCSS, your social sure. worker, everything. It's right there. It's right, right in front of you. In the rural areas, not so much. Right. Um, Rural areas too, you'll see that um, it's it's there are different prevention programs that work better in a built-up urban area. I mean, it's, statistically, it'll show you why. A little bit harder in the rural area. You live out in the country, enjoy that quiet life, but I mean, unfortunately, there's property crime in the country. Not much, you know. I shouldn't say there's not much we can do about. It. There's lots we can do about it, but it's certainly a lot more uh, a lot more challenging. But I guess the biggest thing is when you're here. Um, I liken. Stony Spruce to sort of the, the flea on the elephant. You have a large city here. Mm-hmm. So when you're close to that urban environment, crime-wise, a lot of spillover and all that, and then the criminals move. But you also have, again, that immediate access to that full wraparound services here that I wouldn't have had in the Arctic, not as immediate or in northern Manitoba. Doesn't mean people are using them or properly le- leveraging them, but at least they're available. Mm-hmm. Um, so service delivery, uh, beyond purely enforcement, it's certainly different between the rural and, and, and urban environment. Yeah. Okay. My last question is a bit more about leadership. And and I feel like there are a lot of similarities between perhaps some of the people that you lead and and schools. And and what I mean by that is that you you lead a large group of people who are focused on on similar tasks and you have certain similar values, yet, yet you do much of your work alone. And for teachers, it's, you know, we're in our classrooms. And for you, it's probably you're on the road or, or, or you're in your car or you're in the community. Um, what are some of those big leadership values that, that are important to you that you've sought to live through your leadership and that you feel have really helped you be uh, a person that, that, that both adheres to organizational principles and goals and values, yet allows them to go do their job and they have to be independent? show the way then get out of the way it's a motto that i use sometimes actually so realize i guess too Corey, in the rcp is still a 
paramilitary hierarchical organization uh, it doesn't mean that we we are not progressive in our leadership for me uh, inclusive leadership is is critical i welcome diverse ideas diverse backgrounds, uh, different generations of staff and employees. I'm not the ultimate idea guy. Uh, I don't need to be. I need people around me who are the ultimate idea people. So uh, inclusive leadership is a tenant in, in, in how I approach my role and my job. Uh, authenticity is huge to me as well. Uh, be yourself, be humble. In the RCMP, everybody has slept in the same bed at the academy from the commissioner to myself. So that same constable that graduated last week has the same power and authority as I do regarding their interactions with the public, I'm just higher up the chain and more responsibilities to the people. Right. So it's, it's, we're, I don't know if fraternal is the right word, but it's, it's different than the military. We all sleep in the same bed and progress right from day one, the same way. Um, the other thing, I guess an important thing to me being an organization or being, you know, my, my team or looking at my team, people are a strength. It's not a red surge. It's not a yellow stripe on a pants. People are always your strength. And there's a, uh, a quote I used to use, I was in the military before I joined the RSMP. And uh, when you do like formal leadership training in in the military, they teach you uh, multiple principles of leadership. And one that always stuck with me, and I, I use it even now, is know and promote the welfare of your subordinates, right? So know who they are, know what their needs are, know what their dreams are, and do what you can to develop them, remove the roadblocks and get them to a certain place. A little story, when I got to Stony Plain out of the Arctic, there were 126 employees there and one cleaner. And that's all categories, employees, members, support staff, everything. In eight days, I knew everyone's name and a little click about each one. Uh, and, and quick memory recall, something you learn doing surveillance and other tricks when you're a drug investigator, but it's, it shows that you're, you're authentic and believable. And I little quick story when I first arrived here, if we can yeah, chat about please. it. So we came out of the Arctic and he had to live in a hotel here in uh, Spruce Grove because your effects, your furniture effects don't come out of the Arctic right away and your long-term storage doesn't arrive right away. So we're staying at the Holiday Inn here and I went to work on a Friday and uh, that evening they had a youth development camp that I presented their certificates. It was at the hotel, so that was convenient. I met the day staff there that day and they're like, oh, I'm going to come work a shift with you guys tomorrow. And they're like, oh, sure you will, sir. Sure you will. And yeah, I did. I showed up next day, ready to go. And uh, because it's a, it's a vast area, I need to know my geography a little bit and understand my operating environment. One of the constables lost a bet. He had to buy ice cream for the entire watch because I, I showed up. But that's the tone I set right off the bat. They know... Uh, how I operated, that I, I cared about them first and foremost, and that I realized that their responsibility is unbelievable. They're the boots on the street. They are the tip of the sword, if you will. Like the the trust and faith we need to put in these frontline officers, just same as an educator. Like, oh my gosh, the uh, the influence that um, that these teachers or the, well, I don't want to say power might not be the right word, just power of influence, I guess. You're, you're stamping these brains. You're, you're, you're setting them for the rest of the life. And for me, as a leader, I looked at like the, the most junior person. I had a constable advisory committee here uh, where we met uh, once every three months. Each person from each subunit came with three things that are working, three things that are not. Everything that isn't working, give me an ABC option. So don't just complain about it. Give me the options. And what I found, again, being authentic and, and not just paying lip service, I would track the initiatives. We fix something, here you go. Fix something, here you go. It's just like as administrator in the school, if you're your teacher, we need something better. What's tangible, not ethereal? Like, I can, how can you make this better? Not better, not, not metaphor, like actually better. Um, again, goes to authenticity. So the, uh, I, I was fortunate, great loyal crew over there. You know, little things, every holiday meal, I fed the watches at our house. 
I'm not handy, but I can cook. So <laughs> my wife is handy. <laughs> I think that those are really great leadership principles. So thanks. Um, I got a couple questions around education and um, I asked them to a lot of my guests. So uh, I really love the responses and, and kind of comparing responses. And I love your perspective because I think you are, um, you are very involved in education. So here it is. Do you think that there's something about education that you believe is true that most people or at least a large percentage of people would disagree with you about? So I may be taking the wrong approach to answer this question, and it's going to seem like an easy way out, an easy answer. But my, my in response to that, I would say that you always hear that you know learning never stops, learning is lifelong, and and people would disagree uh, with that. And I would disagree wholeheartedly every day, even in my position now as a like a senior manager, I literally learn something new every day. I pride myself on being open minded to actually be educated as a. You know, I'm on the twilight of my career. I'm not at the forefront of my career. Um, and again, I'm, that might not be getting to the point you're looking for, but I just, my big thing is every human is a lifelong learner. That Your last breath is the last moment you're going to learn something. Um, seize every opportunity. So I some people wouldn't agree. You get set in your ways and you're stubborn. You can't be educated. Old dog, new tricks. I don't believe that. So Next one is, when you think of the term master teacher, who or what comes to mind and why? Okay. Uh, maybe I'll put this in the police context, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Because well, uh, you, you would have had oh, police, you know, certain police officers fire instructors, uh, ultimate who would have instructors. taught you, absolutely. Well, I look at, they're the people that, um, I guess, can accelerate learning, if I can say that. It's a weird yeah. way to say, accelerate your learning. Uh, they can, you know, motivate you, inspire you. Anybody can master a subject, you know, I, I can, I can learn about anything. Can I teach it? So it's so different. Um, You've probably heard that expression. Those who those who can do, those who can't teach, I don't agree. Especially in our world, the people that teach us how to use the intervention tools we have are highly qualified instructors. Or I was an expert witness uh, as a drug investigator, so I could, um, you know, I learned how to make meth crack. We, the basement of our headquarters, we had a health Canada license grow up before marijuana grows were everywhere. But I had to take all those steps and be taught by someone else how to actually um, clone plants or or make crack cocaine and all that. Um, to give me the ability to testify about it. So I had to learn from someone, I mean, it's going to bruise my ego better than me or more knowledgeable than me in that thing. But yeah, master teacher is, you know, if I thought about in your world, somebody who's really got that command of the classroom, and I don't mean command and control in an army sense, just you know what's going on, you know your environment, you're effective. The kids um, want to learn from you. They want to actually listen to you. And I, again, something I discussed with my wife um, you know, how do you know you've really touched a kid? And that's when, I, like I said, she showed me a card that she received from a student. She kept it. It blew my mind reading it. I'm like, wow, that, uh, she teaches math and bio, like calculus, and I would not be good at calculus. But it's, I guess it's the juice for an educator. Know you've made a difference, made an impact. Mm -hmm. A master teacher to me is someone who, that's their standard. Like that's not, it's not above and beyond. That's how they operate. Or they are, you know, they have the, you know, the requisite acumen to deliver, but they can deliver. You know, again, I could read three books and be an expert in, I don't know, making sushi. Could I teach you? That's a different thing, right? So, gotcha. Let's say education was truly successful. What do you think the impact would be on students? What skills do you think that they'd leave schools? And, um, and what might you, you see as your, from your perspective as a police officer? So if, if schools and education... Our, our whole education system, if, if we really are successful, what might you see in your role? Oh, 
That's a, that's a interesting question. Um, I guess it goes back to what I said before, Corey, about, you know, positive influence and, and just the influence that educators have. I mean, I would say that, you know, you, not your role, but uh, a teacher's role, you're preparing kids for adult life. You're preparing them to live independently. You're, you're trying to build resilience in them, right? Through ups and downs of school, you're trying to teach them problem solving, life skills. This is like universal things to go out in that big world kind of thing. So I think the net benefits of a, of a good education of someone who's completed high school had uh, successful positive interactions with teachers, not always, I'm not saying they're all life affirming, but um, learning to be independent, learning to be an adult, uh, critical thinking, you know, you teach somebody, you don't answer, yeah, you can't really teach somebody. So it's a habit. Critical thinking is a habit you have to have. Not everybody's a critical thinker. Like not everybody can objectively analyze and make a judgment kind of thing, but but you have to look for that in student. Educators have to look for that. Police, it's the same way. I can't have a robot out on the road. I need somebody who can analyze and make a judgment. And like, you let them go. Some go on to higher education, some don't. But you're, you know, it's teachers are parents in, in, in a sense as well. Like these are your, you know, your your administrator. You have five hundred kids. Like, mm-hmm. I think again, the net benefit comes to us as well if they've. They've persevered. They've gotten through school. They're ready for the rest of their life. They've socially adjusted all these other things. I think um, when you do well, we can see that, if that's fair to say. Well, I think it speaks to both of us have a role in community development. I think that at the end of the day, if we want a great place to live, um, we we work together. And and I think that we would we would both benefit when we both do our jobs well. And Absolutely. that's what's great uh, because we benefit. Yeah. But that's the, that's the small, the, the small win. The big win is our, our society, our, our town, our community and our country benefits. You face the future every day. I face the future internally, the young leaders, the newer officers. I look at them, you know, I'm going to be gone and retired and you're going to be the next me. Um, you're looking at the future of the country. You might have the next one of your class. You might have the next prime minister in one of your classrooms, the next Nobel winner for physics. Who knows? Right. It's, it's the next, uh, superintendent of the RCMP. Maybe you never know. (laughs) Um, you know, you know, I, I hadn't thought of this, but it just brought it, brought it up. And, and, um, I think that some people don't know that, and, and you kind of made reference to that the other day is that every single RCMP, in the country has gone through the same school, and that is uh, Depot. Just in case people don't know, which I actually think some people don't, what is what does Depot look like? What is the college, which is essentially what it is, the school to essentially produce a, a Mountie, an RCMP officer in this country? What does that look like? <laughs> so I can say, what does it look like now versus what I went through? Not to age myself, but it's changed perpetually. That's great. Uh, so when I went there in in ninety seven, I graduated in ninety seven. It was um, still fairly paramilitary, uh, command and control, edging more on the adult education side. As in, you uh, manage yourselves. The senior cadets look after the junior cadets and such. Um, fun fact at the time, the arena there still smelt like uh, horse manure because it used to be the stable up until I think it was 68 or 69. Every person went to depot had to learn to ride at the same time. Mounties. Well, thank God I did not, you know, I don't like horses. They don't like me, but even then to see, um, where it was at. Now I've had the chance to go back there several times since then. They have the beautiful old buildings. They're massive tradition. The oldest church in Saskatchewan is the chapel in, in depot. So the place is just 
bleeding with tradition. Um, as a cadet, you can't walk on the sidewalk until you've graduated as a constable. Little things like that. And realize too, Corey, you have people there. I mean, people that have already have one or two degrees or have done this or have had a life before. At the time I went, the average age of my troop was 32. So previous professionals with life experience. So it's literally, you're right, you're taking them from zero and and, prepare. and, and what's unique to the RCMP uh, as opposed to other police forces is that you, you have um, powers anywhere in the country. So you don't like, and uh, so Edmonton Police, great organization. When you go to that academy, you learn all the provincial laws, all the city laws and all that, but you have no power outside of Alberta. Every minor that graduates is federally appointed. They have power anywhere in the country. So, and they have no idea where they're going when they show up there. So, <laughs> I've been there recently. The brand new barracks are outstanding. Um, they have uh, curriculum that all the curriculum designers are civilians, all educators, and all that stuff. So it's funny. They police make up everything. No, they have people that actually challenge and audit their curriculum are, are civilians. Uh, for a while, it was a uh, PhD. Uh, educator who was the sort of the subdirector, not now has changed, but anyway, I would encourage anyone who gets a chance. They give tours there. The museum is unbelievable. The heritage museum, $50 million structure. If you get a chance, go. Yeah. I, yeah, I bring that up because, um, it's, it's one of the things that is truly Canadian. And, uh, and I wonder if people, uh, yeah, don't know enough about, about that training school in Regina and, and it's a real gem and it's, it just makes you proud to be Canadian. A little it's bit. funny. They tell you something when you're there. Do you know what the most recognizable at the time in 1997, what the most recognizable symbol in the world was Whew, in the world, in the world, That's what, this say. is what they tell us propaganda or not <laughs> Coca-Cola symbol. Okay. The second most recognizable symbol was a red surge mounting on a horse. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. Um, lightning round, um, a couple shorter answers. Do you have a book that you, that you read or that you recommend to others quite a bit? Yeah, it's a little dated, written about 15 years ago. It's Your Ship by uh, Captain uh, D. Michael Esbrenazov. Really interesting. It's a naval captain who took over this ship and how he actually molded it and molded his subordinates and how he got them just working as a unit because they're, you know, they're assessed if they're seaworthy. They're not really interesting guy for a strictly military command and control world. How he um, was progressive, extremely progressive. Um, there's, there's a quote from that book. I don't know if you'd want to hear it or not, but absolutely. I, you know, I was talking to my wife about this and I said, I could replace the word leaders with teachers and the same thing would apply or educators, if you will. So one of the things that uh, Michael says is, Leaders need to understand how profoundly they affect people, how their optimism and pessimism are equally infectious, and how directly they set the tone and the spirit of everyone around them. Here, here. I love it. What's one thing that you do every day or most days that keeps you well and healthy? My current job now, I have a bit of a commute, so I've got about 40 minutes. So I have a chance to actually enjoy a coffee, on the drive there and just think a little bit, reflect. And I have a chance typically because I get in very early. Like, unfortunately, a few of us at at my level do a bit a little bit long hours, work-life <laughs> balance. I have time to reflect. I reflect in the morning. I just shut the door and just think a little bit, uh, plan my day. We journal by nature. Police officers take notes and all that. But I, you know, it's a great chance to keep track. Where am I with my objectives? Where am I with my family? What's important? I always have that 15, 20 minutes, door shut in the morning. I just take a breath and just think about my day. That's right. Is there an organization or a person that's really inspiring you either right now or maybe it's been been that way for a while? 
You know, I'm going to talk about someone here who's local. Uh, you, there's actually an RCMP officer here. I won't use his name. He's been on the news. I'll tell you why I'm so inspired. I'd love to see him talk to schools or even at some of your professional development opportunities. Here's an individual that uh, developed cancer in one of his eyes, was told he needed to go into palliative care. Uh, and the Eye Institute here in Edmonton managed to uh, remove his eye and, and, in essence, save his life. Um, he had been doing training at headquarters for a while, and they're looking for a detachment that's willing to take him back to try to do operational policing with one eye. Well, I, I took him in Stoney. We, we brought him back. Unbelievable. I've never seen someone so positive. He's a, you talk about a master teacher. He's a carbine instructor, a um, immediate response deployment instructor, a uh, firearm instructor. This guy is your tactical GI Joe and he has one eye. His attitude is never quit. And why would I accept just because I have one eye? It doesn't mean I can't do my job. And in fact, we had to actually, um, let me say this. We had permission from Ottawa, from our headquarters, to even give him a chance to do this. He had to be monitored a certain way. Mm-hmm. But now he's back to full operations. He has one eye. He, he, when he was told he was going into palliative care, he just wouldn't accept that. Um, so any bad day you think you've had, you know, live through what he lives, and you'll kind of look in the mirror and go, you know what, it's not so bad. You know. Totally agree. What's next for you? What are some of the big questions that you're looking, or maybe the big problems that you're looking at um, at at tackling maybe maybe addressing a couple things so <clears throat> i guess on the operational side for us as, as you would know in this area of alberta crime reduction is a a huge thing uh and are very topical in the province of alberta especially in the rural side so Absolutely. we're constantly uh looking at new methods and new ways to uh to enhance crime reduction um, habitual offender management is one of our big things too uh, how do we do with the people that have been institutionalized when they come out how do we give them a chance not give them a chance but Give them leg up to reintegrate. We give them that option because yeah. everybody gets the option. But uh, habitual offender management is a key thing on our radar right now, especially here when you consider your proximity to to Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Lots of offenders choose to live not in the strictly urban environment and try to get out to the um, out to the smaller towns a little bit. Uh, beyond the operation, for me, uh, recruitment and retention is huge in the RSMP. We're in a pitch battle with many other organizations to attract you know the best and the brightest. Um, everyone's a recruiter. I always say that I, I meet people all the time. The guy who pumped my gas. Hey, how old are you? Yeah. What are you doing? Why, why don't you join the police force? Well, oh, no, no. You have to demystify the process, but it's significant because our attrition right now is, is hitting us hard. And to meet our projected, uh, HR needs, we have to just pick up a recruiting. That's why again, everyone's a recruiter. Interesting. Um, one of our former, not former, but one of the interviews that we had was um, was John McGettigan. And, and he talks, one of the things, and we talked about a lot of things, was about the soft on-ramps and off-ramps and how some educators might actually appreciate a chance, if given, to, to, to try something else if they realize they're not, you know, maybe teaching isn't for them. So, yeah, sounds like perhaps... Uh, the skill set that you might be looking for. Not that I'm encouraging people to go off, but if, yeah. Uh, three, there's three teachers in my troop. Really? Uh, one was from Labrador and he got sent right back to Labrador. Oh, wow. There you go. Interesting guy. Oh, yeah. But that's exactly it. 
Well, um, Rob, I want to thank you so much for spending a little bit of time um, for 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 talking to us about the ways that schools and and not just the RCMP, but you know any law enforcement wherever you are um, can work together because I think that we have many of the same shared values. We're we're here to create strong communities. We're here to make um, make make the places that we live both safe and, and, and more than just that great places to live. So thanks. I really appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Robin Corey. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intersection Education Podcast. Before you go, I'd like to recognize that the land where this interview took place is a sacred place that has a long history of human existence. This land has helped people like the Cree, Salto, Nisitapi or Blackfoot, Métis, and Dakota Sioux live well for thousands of years. Let us continue to live well and respect this land.